Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. To be or not to be, that is the question. Wrong claim. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious. Wrong claim. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Verona, for a while I take my leave. <laughs> to see my friends in Padua. And what a fortuitous gale it is that blows me here. Such wind as scatters young men through the world to seek their fortunes farther than at home, where small experience grows. Thus, it stands with me that I have thrust myself into this maze. Crowns in my purse I have, goods at home, and so am come to see the world. Didn't think I could pull it off, did you? Hello and welcome to The Plays The Thing. If you recognize that voice or you thought you recognized that voice, you're probably right. That was actually Bruce Willis playing Petruchio in the 1980s show Moonlighting starring Sybil Shepard. Thanks to Chelly Lee Guthrie for The Link. And yeah, we just wanted to start off with a little bit of fun from Moonlighting. My name is Tim McIntosh. I'm Nora Ankrum. And I'm Matt Bianco. And we're so glad that you joined us for the Taming of the Shrew Q&A episode. I want to first apologize for that leaf blower you hear in the background. We could... I could make more apologies, but everybody has been in this situation. This is just like the hazard of living in contemporary, the contemporary U.S. in the fall. There's constantly a leaf blowing somewhere, and it usually is blowing at the very minute you start to podcast or have a Zoom meeting with your boss. Am I right about that? (laughs) Are you sure it's a leaf blower? I thought it was Nora's breathing into the microphone. (laughs) It is. Absolutely. both. Can't get rid of that. Sorry. I haven't been able to make fun of you for a month, Nora. <laughs> did, did you guys ever watch Moonlighting, the show? 
where Bruce Willis got his first big break before the Die Hard franchise took off? I have not, no. Really? No. Matt, did you watch it? Oh, absolutely. I love that show. It's a great show. I watch it all the time. In fact, I've seen that episode, um, the Tammy the Street episode, and... But their whole their whole relationship was is, a yeah a and Petruchio a Beatrice and Benedict kind of relationship, and that's that 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 I mean that's always fascinating to me. Like I've always I've always found those characters the most um, exciting in the plays. So I loved that show because it was more of that. That show Moonlighting is the first time I remember the first time I saw it. I loved it. It was also like a little bit salacious, you know. I think maybe it. It came out when I was in middle school and, you know, it was like, oh, there's so much tension between the two of them. And then I remember I saw another show and I was like, oh, wow, there's so much tension in between them in this show too. And then the third one, there's so much tension. And at some point I figured out, wait, the whole show is about their romantic tension. And like my little middle school brain was like, you can make an entire sitcom out of romantic tension. Wow. <laughs> Wow. I wonder if any other great artist in history has capitalized on this. Welcome to The Taming of the Shrew. Today is the Q&A episode. You guys, I'm going to jump right in. We've got many questions. And I, I just have to say this. Since Close Reads, our sister podcast, and the plays The Thing have kind of gotten an audience... The quality of the questions has, and the, the number of questions has multiplied significantly. And we've kind of noticed along with the questions, there's a lot of um, people are sharing their opinions, which we're grateful for. So I, because of the number of the questions, I've got to give first option to those that posed a question early in the questions that were posted on the Facebook page, if that makes any sense. Because I've got to kind of like, I just can't get to all the questions. We can't get to all the questions. So this means I'm going to give preference to those who asked questions early within their kind of like Facebook comments. Does that make sense? Does that seem fair to our listening audience? Listeners, I think Tim is very nicely trying to tell you people to stop pontificating in your question asking and just get to the point (laughs) and ask the question. Good cop, bad cop. I thought you were going to be the good one. Yeah, I thought you were going to be the what good happened? one, Matt. I'll, okay, I'll Matt, be both. I'll be you the said something off the you air. You had a compliment. I'll be the good cop and the bad cop. Before we started recording, you had an idea about why like, the questions have become, they've just become longer. I wanted to compliment the listeners to you guys, not to them, but I will. Okay, I will. I will. Do I it. think that. I think that people on the Close Reads Facebook group and the listeners of Close Reads and the listeners of The Plays of Thing are people who ha- are very good readers or or and or they've become very good readers or better readers over the years of listening to these podcasts. And they are applying their reading skills to the text and then kind of putting it out there for us to or for you know the, the podcast. I mean, in this case, us, but in other shows, other host to um, evaluate and, and kind of assess and respond to and give feedback on and whatever. Right. So I think it's a, it's a desire to share what they've learned and what they've discovered. That's cool. Right. That's that's kind of what this is all about. Right. Yeah. No, it's really, really cool. That's exactly right. This is what, 
this is all about. Can I just say one thing, and then I promise I'll start asking questions. Um, a few years ago at the Circe Conference, we had a colloquy in which I led the discussion. There's maybe 15 people in the colloquy. And instead of just doing a quote, which is the kind of habit in colloquies, you read a quote and that quote is discussed by the participants. I actually read like a very short story by called The Bridge by Edwin Friedman. It's about two and a half pages long. And it's one of these rare short stories that it's a little bit difficult. The meaning is a little bit difficult to understand, but once you do understand it, the story just sort of unlocks, Mm. but it's hard to unlock it. So I remember we sat down and we started talking through this short story and I gave very little indication about like how I thought to unlock the story. And we started off a million miles away from the lock and the key. And then we gradually moved closer and closer. And I remember just watching the discussion unfold being so, I cannot express how impressed I was because it was like master's level work Mm. among these people that were attending. Um, In like a lot of ways, it was beyond master's level work. And at the end, they really unlocked, they unlocked the story. And I was just beaming. I was so happy. And I said at the end, you said, I was like, you guys, I'm so proud. We were so far away when we began, but then I listened to us and we got closer and closer. And I really just think you unlocked it. And as we were walking out of the colloquy, one of them said, of, of course, Tim, we've learned how to read. You've taught us how to read. And it was like, I can't even tell you. I was so proud. And I, I, I like, by no means would anybody who's on this show or on Close Read say like, yeah, we are responsible for like teaching people how to read. But I think we are contributing some to it. And I think that um, it's one of the biggest and most pointed purposes of the show. And I feel like we're being successful. With that being said, here is our first question from Joshua Butcher from Opelika, Alabama. What attributes of Petruchio and Kate are admirable. And there's a part B to his question, but let's just stick with part A. What attributes of Petruchio and Kate are admirable? I'm going to put you guys in a little bit of a, I'm going to be pointed about this. Um, Nora, I would like for you to say what attributes of Petruchio are admirable. Matt, which of Kate's are admirable? Uh, let's start, let's start with you, Nora. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think it's a really good question. Um, I think an attribute of Petruchio that is really admirable is um, determination mm. and stick-to-itiveness. Somebody brought up in one of the questions that he could have just, you know, he could have just dominated Kate. He could have just said, you're my wife now. That's the end of it the end, but, you know, he, he pursued her in, in his way and he was dogged and determined and, um, and, and really, and really steadfast in, in how he pursued her. Okay. Plenty of chances for him to give up. Yeah. Didn't give up. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, attributes of Kate that you admire. Um, she is honest, unreservedly so. Um, but, and I mean that honestly in a good way though, right? She's honest. She's, I think she's, she's the epitome of whatever, what we would call today a strong independent woman or something, right? Like mm. she's strong. She's, um, she's honest. And yet 
and I would see this as an attribute, but there's also a, a, a vulnerability to her. I mean, that she's she's trying to kind of hide pro- from others, but and maybe even from herself. But there's a vulnerability. <clears throat> but the the um, I think the biggest part of it is that kind of that kind of um, the integrity that she that she embodies mm-hmm. who she is. Right where you where you know by the end of the play you realize that's not really Bianca. And the Bianca you encounter mm. at the beginning of the play is not really the, the Bianca you encounter at the end of the play, right? And mm. but with um, with Kate, I think it re- she really is the same person beginning to end. But now there's a fulfillment that allows that to look a little bit different. And it, but she's mm-hmm. she is who she is, you know. There's a healing, I guess, maybe how you know a taming that happens, but she doesn't become a different person. Like she, you still recognize her as yeah, Kate, yeah. Next question. And this was more of kind of like, there was a little bit of back and forth on the Facebook page about this question. I'm going to give credit to the question to Lita Lopez from Las Cruces, New Mexico. The question is, do you think Petruchio gaslighted, gaslit, gaslighted, Kate, let me define gaslighting. That's one of these words that kind of like has entered the American lexicon. Um, I think the best definition is gaslighting is making someone question their own reality. It comes from a 1944 mm-hmm. movie called Gaslit in which a husband makes his wife believe that she's insane in order for her to in order for him to steal from her. So that's a little bit of the word history. So the question is I'm going to ask you first Matt, does Petruchio gaslight Kate? <laughs> okay, hold on. You guys are you're like Oh man, why did you call on me first? This is the nature of Q and A. I have to choose one of you first, right? There's two yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt. Yeah. yeah. Nora on, got it last time, Matt. You got to You got to like just accept it that it's your turn. Nora's question was easier to start first with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Look. Uh, okay. First of all, I let me let me just throw this out there so you know the perspective that I'm coming from. I hate, am I saying that too strongly? Maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan of, I dislike the idea of taking this concept of gaslighting and then reading it back into old literature. Um, it feels anachronistic to me and I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. However, you know, there's, there are all these literary criticism theories or, or, or uh, methods or whatever that are used in, in literary criticism, right? We could think of like T.S. Eliot and the New Critics or feminism or queer theory or whatever. And I, I think that literary criticism, that these, these particular liter- kinds of literary criticism can be good insofar as they help us to, to shed light on some sort of social issue or social question mm. that we might not have been able to see without it, Right. And so, and so if we ask a question about a text from a feminist theory perspective or a queer theory perspective, right, it's shedding light on the feminist question, feminist issues or queer, queer issues or queer questions, right? That can be good for us to, 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 to bring light to it. Um, but I don't see those particular theories as, now this is where I, I might get myself in trouble, but I don't see those theories as particularly helpful in understanding the text itself. I find them more helpful for understanding social issues, less helpful for understanding the text itself. Um, so, so having said that, having put myself out there in that way, I don't, 
I don't know that I would use the term gaslighting to describe what Petruchio does with Kate. I don't, I don't know that if somebody else said that I would be able to agree to it. Um, I'd have to hear more of the, of the, the case for it and, 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 and ask them to help, you know, help me by making a distinction. Are they doing this to shed light on current issues or are they doing this to try to reveal what the text is actually saying? Mm -hmm. Um, But what I do see in the text is I think that, I think there's a sense in which the world that Kate is living in is a false world. If I can put it that way, like, like at the beginning of the play, the beginning of the play, at the beginning of the play, she's living in a false world. That's not, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, um, I mean, it's a reality in the sense that it's what she's experiencing, right? She's experiencing this relationship with her father. That's kind of broken this relationship with her sister. That's kind of broken this relationship with the townspeople that's broken. Right. And there's this, she's experiencing all of that, but that's not, that's not, that's not what reality is supposed to be. That's just, this kind of brokenness of the reality she's in. And it's false for that, for that reason. And I think what Patricio does is come in and he puts on a, a um, he puts on a play or, or pretends to be different than who he is and, and treating her in a certain way that, that is itself. Like we can, I'll use the word deceptive here, but it, it's a way of of using deception to undo a deception, right? He's he's mm. he's deceiving or playing or whatever in a way that's trying to to undo the deception of the false reality she's living in, so that she can, so that t- together they can then come to live in a real reality, a, a true reality, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I I would mm-hmm. I would see it more like that, and then I mean if it's gaslighting, it's gaslighting, but. In the in the the original 1944 story, gaslighting is is negative. Like you're doing this to take advantage of the person. I don't think he's doing that. I think he's doing that to to bring both of them. He's doing it in a way that ends up bringing both of them to a truer a truer self and a truer world, truer reality. Okay. Okay. Nora. No, I I, I agree. I, I like the way that you uh, delineated there between. Um, you know, you know, what is the purpose? Is is the purpose to better understand the text or is the purpose to better understand social issues? Um, so if the question is, does Petruchio use, is there a psychological component to what he does to Kate? I'm sure. Absolutely. The answer is yes. Um, but when you say gaslighting, you're, you're definitely assigning value, right? In, in today, in contemporary uh, culture, because like, that's, that's not okay. Right. But Shakespeare's not writing right now. Um, so if we're, if we're seeking to understand what he's saying, um, then I think that's probably, you know, yeah, yeah, I agree. He definitely used a psychological component, but so did everybody else in the story. Um, everybody else in her world as well. And what you're saying, Matt, is that his motivations were good with it. Um, whereas gaslighting, it definitely has a very, very negative connotation. Um, so yeah, oh. I agree with that. So let me ask you a question. This is for both of you. Um, Othello, the play Othello, Iago is um, the kind of like assistant to the general Othello. Othello is very happily married to Desdemona. Iago, hating Othello, goes to him and he's like, hey, you know, Desdemona has been unfaithful. Desdemona has been unfaithful. Look, I can procure the glove that she, you know, got from her lover. And 
slowly but surely the kind of green worm of envy gets into Othello's head and he feels like he's going crazy and all of his source material is coming from Iago. Now I recognize Mm. gaslighting is most often used to describe a male's kind of like infiltration psychologically into a female's mind, making her feel crazy. I recognize that. Nevertheless, couldn't we say that Iago gaslit Othello? You think that's fair? <laughs> right. I mean, it's a it, it's a modern term, right? So it's it's yeah. But but insofar as the way we're defining it, the way it's been defined, and what's happening there, I mean, you could say the same thing with with um, Claudio in Much Ado About Nothing. He gets gaslit. It, I mean. Right. If, I mean, if right. If, if, if you're going to broaden it that much, yeah. If you're going to broaden it that much, then it's it's really any psychological manipulation, right? But but yeah. I think what what I mean as we already said, but I think what Petruchio does is different than what they did, and I think that I think what Petruchio does, insofar as the way I described that, is kind of a deception to undo a deception. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of like this. It's kind of like the what happens in King Lear with the guy that his his. His advisor that yeah. has to disguise himself and follow follow Kent. him along, right? Kent, yeah. Kent, yeah. Thank you. That guy. It's weird that I don't remember that since I actually did a, a plays the thing on King Lear with you. Tim. I know, but, I know. <laughs> um, but Kent, <laughs> but Kent has to put on a deception to undo the deception that Lear is living in, right? It's the same. I think yeah. it's that same kind of a thing. I think it's actually. And, and, and we talked point, a lot about that in in all of our episodes, right? With the with the suitors at the beginning, and you know, putting on the different disguises. I mean, this this is a mm-hmm. whole play about disguises and masks and and tricking people, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Next question is from Katie Leonard Patton from Nashville, Tennessee. Katie says, first, we know Shakespeare writes strong women, and not just forceful personalities, but women who are superior to the men in their lives. Juliet, Beatrice, Rosalind, Cordelia. Why can't we just have one play with a superior man? Is she suggesting in that question? You're like, I, who am I going to ask this one to first? <laughs> and this is the one time I'm like, I'll jump in first. I want to talk about Okay, do it. Do it, Matt. Jump in. <laughs> um, is, am I understanding the question correctly, though? Because I think she's implying that that she thinks Petruchio is the superior character in this story and that we were perhaps not giving him that credit during the shows. And so she's saying, why can't you guys just give him the credit he deserves? Is that what she's saying? I I think that's what she's saying. She's here. She, I asked for a little clarification. She said, um, a static character is boring. So I won't argue that Petruchio doesn't change at all, but I think because we live in a time where mansplaining is a term, we're uncomfortable with a story where a man teaches a woman something. I think we try to even things out by making Petruchio needing taming just as much as Kate does or something like that, rather than just let it feel uncomfortable that he might be superior to her at first. Hmm. So that is kind of what we did, right? We kind of took that away from him by Mm -hmm. saying he was also being tamed. And then she's saying, yeah. we don't need to do that. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll stand up for this. I think Petruchio, at the beginning of the play, I don't respect him. I mean, I think he's big and brash and loud and cocky. 
And there are things about him. I could think he's really witty and I admire that. But I don't, I don't think he's an admirable person who we really think, man, you know who Kate needs? She needs Petruchio. That's what she needs, more Petruchio in her life. I don't think that's true. I felt like I, I, when I read this question, and I think there was some other discussion on the page as well, um, I felt like it was um, – because we made some ties to um, – Hmm. Petruchio being Kate's salvation or, you know, yeah. um, the, the disciple and the, the, um, teacher relationship and, and things like that. And, and that does make us squirmy. Absolutely. And I, I think maybe that's a little bit of what her question is. Like, can we, can we just get over that for a second? Yeah, yeah. Can we just admit that sometimes it's okay, you know, to need to be taught something. And, um, I, I think that point is, is, good. I think Matt did a really good job of making that point in um, lots of the episodes. I think the problem is that he he's not this, <laughs> you know, Petruchio is not perfect. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's brash and he's mean. And, and some of the stuff that he does is just, you can't take it as like a loving teacher, just, you know, disciplining <laughs> their student, right? Um, you do have to address the fact that he's not, um, He's not a perfect character, mm-hmm. um, but I don't I don't think that takes away from the fact that he that Kate is bettered by him. I think you can have both. OK, I, I'm going to point out something that I think might be like the deeply uncomfortable part of this play is that maybe what Shakespeare is arguing is not that Petruchio is a superior person but that his role, I'm going to say it in like 2021, that his role as husband is superior. And if you think about it, Kate's, like her closing monologue is not about Petruchio per se. It's about like husband. They, they are the ones who do, who provide these things, who provide for, who teach, who reprimand, they, they, they. Mm. I mean, like, it might be uncomfortable to admit it, but maybe Shakespeare thinks that it's the role of husband that is the teacher and kind of like the superior role. And like the resolution of the play is that Kate finally accepts the role. Not necessarily, I mean, like, I think she accepts the man also. I think she accepts Petruchio. But maybe the bigger resolution that Shakespeare is putting forward is that she accepts like his superior position. If, and if you want to take it even, I mean that her closing monologue could then become a, a charge, you know, a um, here's your list of responsibilities even. Mm. Right. Like, like to not, the husband. Yeah. To all the husbands that yeah, she's yeah, speaking yeah. to at that time. Right. Yeah. This is, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if, a, I mean, if, if you want to take it that way. Yeah. So there's a, um, she's, she's because she's speaking to the wives, she's talking to them about their roles rather than what, what they want to do is say, well, you need to be better at fulfilling your role to the husbands. But she's just saying, well, that's, we, we, we don't get to tell them how to fulfill their roles, right? Then I'm just telling you how to fulfill your roles. But with re, in respect to what, what it is in respect to the, their role, like your wives, so this is what wives do in, re, in relationship to the role of husband. I think that's what she's doing. I think she kind of takes for granted that the husband 
does provide the sorts of things that Petruchio has provided. I mean, the hard thing about that interpretation is that, well, then what do you do with Acts 3 and 4? It's not just providing, it's actually deprivation in some ways, you know? He's depriving her of food, of bad like food. the beauty of her wardrobe. What did you say, Matt? Cl- bad food and bad, bad food. clothes. <laughs> bad food and- <laughs> He's depriving her of bad food, bad clothes, bad sleep. <laughs> die, so that she die only gets on that the hill. Yes. <laughs> die on that hill, Matt. That's die right. on that hill, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and bad sitting on the ground with a horse on top of her. <laughs> I, I know. Yes, I was trying to think. Bad. <laughs> it is pretty bad. You're right. Listen, I, I'll, this is what I'll say to Kate's to Kate's um, Katie's. Sorry, Katie's um, question. I, I I'm trying to actually trying to think about it. What I was doing when I was in the beginning when we were first talking about it, and I was wondering, do I did I actually think that Petruchio is a um, relatively static character who doesn't really need to be tamed and mm. his whole job is to tame. And, but I, but I never said that. What I said was he too is being tamed, right? That insofar as he treats her like the wife she's supposed to be, then, then he's going to become the kind of person who does that. Um, but now I'm wondering, did I say that like psychologically what's happening in my head? Did I say that so that I wouldn't, so that I wouldn't lose the audience, so that I wouldn't lose Nora, so that I wouldn't, mm. I wouldn't be ostracized in some way. So I wouldn't be thought of as that, you know, crazy. Like, did I feel the discomfort that she's describing, that Katie's describing in her question? And then I was too scared to hold on to it, right? So then I backed up. I don't know. I don't, I, it's, yeah. it's a fascinating question. I actually don't know. Um, I think that the way that Petruchio is written, though, he is certainly written far more static than Kate. I mean, Absolutely. by far. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, you, you would have to dig a lot more and we have, we have dug a lot more. Um, but, and and I have some thoughts as to why that is, but maybe this is not the right time, but, um, we we can can back to it if we have time. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I've got two more questions from Katie and I'm going to read them back to back. She said, um, I once heard Angelina Stanford point out. So Angelina used to participate in this show in um, close reads, point out that the torture of act four could actually be a picture of symbolic repentance, the withholding of bodily pleasure and even needs, food, sleep, sex, etc., not to harm, but as a sort of Lenten act of penitence. So Petruchio puts that on Kate until she chooses to take that up herself. And once she does, then she willingly gives him the name that he most wants to hear from her. I think Katie doesn't say it, but I think like husband. So could you interpret the taming of the shrew that way? That what's happening with Kate is something like a symbolic repentance through like abstinence of bodily pleasures and needs. I like it. I, I mean, I think it's even a richer way of explaining what, what I was trying to say, because hmm. in, in my, in my argument to, to rehash it yet again, the hill that I <laughs> die on, right. Is that he's withholding lesser goods from her because he's promising her better goods, greater goods, um, which is the very thing her father did not do. 
right? Her father did not withhold bad husbands from her because he was waiting for this better husband. He was trying to prostitute her, she says, right? In the, in the beginning of the play, not in those words, but in, you know, 1600s England speak. And, um, and though her father wasn't doing those things for her. So then Petrico comes along and says, I'm going to do those things for you. I love you so much. I'm going to make sure you have the best bed and the best food mm. and the best clothes. Right. And so these, he's withholding lesser goods in order to be able to give her greater goods. Um, this language though, this symbolic repentance, I think kind of is, is richer than even what I was describing. Cause it, because it puts it in that term of, of, in, in terms of what, you know, what the church is doing or what Christ is doing or what, you know, the, um, the, the, yeah, that, that kind of the Lenten act of penitence and that she has to mm-hmm, somehow kind mm-hmm. of repent of who, she, what, you know, how she's been and the kinds of demands that she's made so that she can, you know, learn to wait for the better things. Yeah. So I, I, I like it. Nora. Uh, I like it. If Petruchio is a better character. <laughs> Oh, it's a little um, easier to stomach if he's a better character. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, if, if he's the if he's the Hosea, right? Or yeah, 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 yeah. He's the 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 righteous or the bishop. husband. Right, right. Um, I think the problem is when it it's just it's not as palatable when he starts off wanting to wive and thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then the methods. Um, but also, you know, it's it, it falls apart a little bit for me because it's not um it, because it's compulsory, because it's forced. Uh, it's not a choice yeah, that yeah, she yeah, makes. Yeah. Um, and then again, I mean, that's, that's very uh, contemporary of me to say that. Um, but I, you know, I'm reading it today. I'm not reading it. I mean, is it okay, but then. is it true? I mean, even in 1200, wasn't the choice to like follow the pattern of Lent still volitional? You might've had greater social pressure to abstain from certain things during Lent. But it's still volitional, right? Right. Maybe it's just not so, I mean, it feels like today, the amount of social pressure that we have to abstain for something for religious reasons is not really as high as I think it would be in 1200. So Certainly. in that sense, I, yeah, I can get with what you're saying, Nora. It's probably but, even more volitional yeah. by then too, because of the schism, right? In the, in the reformation, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. even more right. options that you can, well, I don't true. like this, so I'm going to move over here kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it would, it would be social pressures, but even those social pressures would probably be diminished from what they were. They'd be lightened. Right. 600 years right. earlier. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's a good I think it's a fine way of looking at it um, for part of it. And just, you know, with this, the story as a whole. Um, But again, I think if you, if you play into Petruchio's um, role, role of uh, redeemer for Kate, um, but also redeeming, he's being redeemed himself in the process. If if you can show some of that changing, I think that makes him a little bit more palatable mm-hmm. in that role, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Last question from Katie. Is it true that anyone who disagrees with me is the rankest <laughs> compound of villainous smell that ever offended nostril? <laughs> um, Nora? Uh, <laughs> that, that was a beautiful question. That is all I have to say. <laughs> Beautifully expressed. Yeah. I think the answer is just, yeah, yes, it's, it's nice. true that anyone who disagrees was the, the rankest compound. I, I, actually, I honestly don't know because Nora disagrees, but I can't smell her through the, uh, through the zoom <laughs> here. So I don't know. That is one thing we don't have is smell. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, Lita Lopez <laughs> says, have you noticed that in the Taylor Burton Zeffirelli film, several significant lines are omitted from the act five speech, most notably <laughs> our strength as weak, our weakness past compare that seeming to be most, which we indeed least are. Why do you think they were cut? I'll, I'll answer this one. Um, I think, obviously, I have no idea because I watched that film and many, many, many lines were cut. I bet half the text, if not more, was cut. So I think the pragmatics of filmmaking is certainly one reason. I also think, you know what? Zeffirelli is trying to make a film that is enjoyed by modern audiences. And if he has to trim um, certain lines that we might find like the most offensive lines, like our strength as weak, our weaknesses past compare. I can see why you might cut that. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Don't let, um, I don't know. I I started to say, don't let hobgoblins get in the way of, you know, like enjoying the film. But I don't know that I ever really want to liken one of Shakespeare's lines to hobgoblins, but I just did it. So it's too late. Uh, Next question. Sally Webb Eilerson from American Fork, Utah. It's a little bit of a longer question. She said, for a show that isn't done very often, I've seen Shrew four times, including the Taylor Burton production. The other three were stage productions. The only time I saw the intro was at the Stratford production, which is the last one that I saw. Um, I liked, uh, she said, as an audience member, the last time I saw Shrew live, it had a married couple as Petruchio and Katerina 20 years after they met doing the same roles. So that right there is fun. I mean, like I would pay to that see is so that cool. show. Yes. Isn't that great, Nora? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. So she says, how much does it or can it change this play to have Petruchio and Kate played by actors who have a relationship, a vocabulary of words and actions? Does it help a modern audience to have actors whose subtext is a strong connection? Does that change the meaning of the text? Nora, I'm going to ask that of you. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like you as soon as I read that, I thought, oh man, I would love to see that. uh, And in fact, I would have loved to have seen it the first time and then the 20 years later, yeah. um, I, I would love to see the difference there, but yeah, absolutely. Of course it, it never hurts to have a better connection between the actors, right? It can only help. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially in a, in a play like this where, um, there are delicate subjects, um, and you're trying to say a lot, right. Um, the, the, I think a lot of this play, performing it now depends on the actors mm-hmm. and, and the director too, but, but certainly on the actors and them having a connection and telling, being able to tell the same story. Right. Yeah. And the, and the, a personal relationship or a deeper relationship can only ever deepen that. Yeah, for sure. I've thought about, um, yeah, the way that I thought about relationships when I was 20 and the way that I think about relationships now and when I see a couple that's been together, you know, for 20 plus years, oh, it's so, I mean, it's just, that alone is just so admirable. Even, and if it's, especially if it's like a healthy, loving relationship, you're like, man, it's a miracle. Relationships seem so fragile today. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, for, the, for similar reasons to the last 
question that we were discussing. I think the social pressure to stay together um, mm. is a lot lower, which I don't know. The feminist in me says, yeah, that might be like better for women in a lot of ways. But anyway, putting that aside, um, well, I just like stumbled right You have right. a feminist inside of you? I do. I do. <laughs> she actually has a name, Barbara. <laughs> Barbara. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I would, long story short, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that play. Yeah. 20 years married, playing the same role. Fantastic. Matt, do you have any thoughts? Would you enjoy that? Yeah, I have nowhere near the experience that you guys do, obviously, with stage productions and, and all that. But just the very description of it makes me want to go see that, right? Like, I can just imagine yeah. how there would be things that they would pick up from each other and be able to communicate to each other just from their body language, or their facial expressions that two actors that don't know each other as well wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. And it would, it would bring so much more life and yeah. vibrancy to the, to the play itself. Yeah. I think that's really interesting too, because, um, because of the way that the play is written, people playing it 20 years difference, right? Like maybe they were 20 when they first played it and now they're in their forties. Right. That's really interesting that Kate and Petruchio could be 20 year olds or they could be 40 year olds and and how that would change it. Yeah. Right. I can buy both. I can, I can imagine both of those. Or what if it's what if it's both? What if Petruchio is much, much, much older mm. and Kate is much younger or the reverse, right? Okay. There are so many different cool possibilities there. Let's think about that, Nora. Let's think about yeah. um, Kate as 40 and Petruchio as 25. That is so hard <laughs> to imagine. It's hard to imagine. But I mean, like immediately, it seems to me that if you cast that way, the reality of the play is now kind of set because you're asking Kate who's smart and strong and yeah, she's reckless and she can be out of control. You're asking her to get with and to be able to say with a full heart at the end of the play, I take you as like my master and husband to someone 15 years, her junior. Then that to me really sounds like, the play then becomes about the role of husband more than about the man Petruchio. Yeah. Well, and when is it set then? If it's, if she's in her forties and he's 20, when, when is that play happening? Is it happening traditionally? Is it happening contemporary? Um, All, all of that plays into it. Right. Of course. But I, I think it's just fascinating to, to be able to, to play with those kind of things and, and to be able to use simple casting choices like that to say something different, right. Than mm-hmm. to cast two 20 year olds or to cast two 40 year olds. I think we talked about it on one of the episodes. Uh, I saw an advert- advertisement for an age blind um, Hamlet where Ian McKellen is playing yeah. Hamlet. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I heard about it. Yeah. And again, you know, that, that says something a lot different than if Hamlet is 20. Yep. Right. Yeah, it really does. Uh, so I think I think it's really really cool and really fascinating. Do you think it way. would have an effect on what the taming is? Right, like if I think it would have to. We, right, if we would, if we've talked about the taming being like he could be taming in the way that he's just trying to control her, right, or he's taming her like he's trying to bring out the best in her, trying to heal her, whatever. Um, right. And then does that change? Like, does a twenty-year-old taming a forty-year-old? force it to be one of the one particular kind of the taming and not the other. And if it's a 40 year old trying to tame a 20 year old, 
then it's grooming. You know, if it's if it's a 20 year old, right. a 20 year old or a 40 year old, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, you're right. That might even be worse. That might be a lot, not worse, but harder to to grapple with if Petruchio is the older one. I'm imagining my 25 year old self cast as Petruchio trying to tame a 40 year old Kate. And I would think all of act three and four, all of the kind of like withholding of food and wardrobe and, you know, shelter, all of that would be coming from this deep seated place of insecurity, like just pure insecurity. Like I can't, I don't have what it takes. So I'm going to kind of like lord myself over her and attempt to get her to kind of like bend to my will. Mm. Right? Right. Right. And then, and then you're saying something really specific about yeah. Petruchio, right? And, and about the type of taming. That is a very specific type of taming. Um, wow. That's, that's amazing how big of an impact just the casting has. It's I know. huge. I it's know. huge. And I mean, then even think about the other characters too. You know, think about um, Baptista, right? Like the, well, we've talked about him, him a little bit with uh, the kind of buffoonery that they made in the uh, 10 things I hate about you. Cause you can say a lot with that mm. too. Mm. Um, or, or Bianca or Lucentio. I mean, any of them, right? Yeah. Nora, you've probably heard that kind of rule of thumb that 80% of a director's work is done in the casting. Have you ever heard that I before? Haven't, I haven't heard that, but that's definitely true. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Cause once you cast it, you're, I mean, you, you have a lot less control. Yeah. Right. A that's, lot less control. Right. Right. Next question, Reed Taze Charles from Coffee Creek, Montana. Is Kiss Me Kate or 10 Things I Hate About You the better version? Would you say he's from Montana? I thought he was from Maine. I don't move? think you've picked up on my little like naming. Oh, yeah, you've never been on a Q&A or you haven't done a Q&A uh. episode with me before. I'm going to let you know in a secret. I just make up random towns <laughs> and states for people. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered how you knew that. <laughs> I just make it up. So it comes from, there, there was an old school Atlanta Braves announcer named Skip Carey. And Skip Carey, I remember as a boy, but I was listening to his radio broadcast and, you know, uh, it's a 3-2 count, foul ball, caught by, um, you know, caught by a guy in section D from Apaluca, New Mexico. And I was like, as a kid, I was like, how did he know where that guy was from? And then it took me a little while to figure out he's just making stuff up. <laughs> I was like, that could be kind of fun to do on a Q&A episode. Love so it. if you get linked anyone with some sort of town and state that you don't want any affiliation with, <laughs> I, I apologize. I apologize. Okay. Back to the questions. That's Reed great. Taze, Charles from Coffee Creek, Montana. <laughs> remain. He's Kiss Me Kate or Things I Hate About You, the better version. I can't answer because I've never seen Kiss Me Kate. So I would mm. just have to pick 10 things because of- I, I haven't know. seen Kiss Me Kate either. I know the music, but I haven't seen it. But I do think 10 Things is, is a good version. I like it. Yeah. I think the way to answer the question is with our closeout bumper music. I'm just going to leave it there. That's how we're going to answer. <laughs> That's how I'm going to answer that question. Okay. Um, Sarah Montgomery, this is going to be our last question of the episode. Sarah Montgomery from Montgomery, Alabama asks, what evidence do we have that the thrive aspect of thrive and wife, remember this is what Petruchio said in act one, you know, he's going to thrive and wife, wife and thrive. 
means that Petruchio is just about acquiring financial wealth. I was listening to a discussion that included the Genesis account of the creation of Eve, and the speaker used the word thrive, and that made me consider it shrew in a new way. The summary would be something like this. God created man and then created the garden while Adam watched. Adam recognized that he didn't have a match, and then God created Eve. So maybe God was supposed to cultivate his wife in a way that would make her thrive, and this was a key to Adam understanding how to make all of creation thrive. That being said, what evidence do we have that the thrive aspect of Thrive and Wive means Petruchio is just seeking financial wealth? Can I, um, can I restate this question the way that I understand it? Maybe Petruchio is a little bit more savvy than we give him credit for. Maybe he shows up and he's like, I'm here to wive and thrive. And we think he's just after money. But really, he is kind of like, he knows himself a little bit better. And he's like, I'm here to wive and thrive. And part of thriving is wiving. It's not just getting rich, but it's actually um, learning how to kind of like cultivate, uh, cultivate a life so that when I wive, I'll be in great shape to have like a healthy, happy, wonderful marriage. Or even like a... It's not good for the man to be alone, so I'm going to wive. Yeah, 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 something like that. Because now I'm not alone, and now I'm not. not yeah, good. it's kind of what I thought too. I, yeah. I didn't really think it was just about finances. Um, I thought it was him recognizing a, a, a lack of something mm-hmm. in himself, mm-hmm. like he he was incomplete. Okay, right? oh, really? That's yeah. how you thought of it the whole time. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I I wanted to see that. Um, how how that worked out, how that was fulfilled, uh, wasn't wasn't exactly what he thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. I I probably got away with something then because I did think of it as a kind of a financial gain. Like I'm here to get me a wife, oh, really? so I can get rich off of the dowry. Blah blah blah. The dowry. Um, okay. And so for okay. me, that really was part of why he was also being tamed because he was uh, in my mind. He was even. Th- the thriving was even more important than the wiving. Like the wiving was a means to that end. But then in mm. the process of taming Kate, he himself gets tamed and, be- and comes to really love her and care for her and, and want the best for her, which is why he has to withhold the lesser things like riding on a horse and sleeping in a bed. And, you know, um, <laughs> the lesser things <laughs> like not being underneath a horse. Right. So those modern man. conveniences of not being under a horse. <laughs> well, so Sarah's question is brilliant to me because I hadn't thought of it that way. And now, now you guys, you know, now we're and talking I- about it. So I'm like, wow, this is great. Um, but what's funny or what's interesting to me about it is that I actually just had a conversation. I don't know, maybe an argument, maybe a debate recently with um, one of the other regular hosts on close reads and, the taming, the taming of the shrew. Uh, what's this show called? Close Reads. No, plays the plays the thing. thing. Oh, plays the plays the thing. thing. Sorry. Um, with uh, uh, Lord, I can't remember anything now. The name of the show, the name of the person, Heidi White. Okay, so Heidi White is in town in North Carolina. She's visiting. We're sitting on the porch, the back porch of the house where we're all at. And we're having a conversation. And as is typical for Heidi and me, we were discussing literature and we were arguing about our different divergent views. So I asked her, did Lancelot ever consummate his relationship with 
Guinevere. Guinevere. And she said, yes. And I said, no. And then we started, we started arguing about it. And so that I could have more of a stronger footing, we limited ourselves to the Thomas Mallory telling of the story. Mostly because I'm not familiar with the other ones as much, but um, but also Thomas Mallory leaves it more kind of open, and and then one of the questions that she brought up was, but it says he made love to her all mm. night, and I said I don't think he made love to her all night it has a sexual connotation to it back then, um, and then there were other people sitting around and they point you know they they suggested the same thing Brandon LeBlanc was one of them. And, um, like it means broad, it could mean broadly just wooing, like pointed, but yeah. well, shouldn't use that word. No, that's true. And coincidentally in, um, in CS Lewis's the silver chair, when they go to the giant's house at ha- whatever Harburg castle, and they're in that, they're in the, with the giants. Um, it says that, that the girl, uh, Jill pole, Jill Pohl went around the house making love to all of the servants and the handmaids in the house. But what she was doing is she was getting them to like her so that they would let her outside so that she could escape. Uh. Right. So she, for her, it was just making love just meant getting them to have affection toward her. Um, And so apparently then I did some research on the phrase and it apparently doesn't even pick up the sexual connotation to like the 1800s and in America Surprise, surprise. Mm. So anyways, I tell that whole story, one, so that I could tell the entire world that I was right and Heidi was wrong, but also so that I could, so I could share like, like sometimes these phrases, like they're so, they're a particular meaning is so embedded in our mind because of our modern understanding. Right. And that's how I did with thrive. Apparently not in everybody's mind because Nora got it right, but but I did. (laughs) And it was like, just, I had this one particular thing that Mm. that could possibly have meant. And this question opened my mind. And that one particular like meaning was like bags of gold. Is that what it was for you? Matt, yeah, like well, become- or, or just success, but I, but I took yeah. success more like material success. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Than I did. I guess I was just thinking, if 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 that's all that he really wanted, he had that at the beginning, right? He was done, right? Yeah, he didn't have to go through any of the rest of it. But how much right? he already more had? Does he great point. Just one dollar more, right? I mean, I maybe well, however much richness he riches, whatever his riches were, they just. They, you always want more. Yeah. Well, I don't mean he had it like in himself. I mean, he had it once um, Baptista agreed to have Kate marry him. Mm. Right? Oh, 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 like he already got the dowry. If that's all he wanted, then he was right. done. Right. But he kept he kept pursuing. He kept um, because he wanted to you know. thrive in that more fulsome way. Yeah, I think he he wanted to actually win her over. But mm-hmm. again, I think the the nature of the winning changed. Or, or yeah. you can argue that it changed. I wonder yeah. if I if I thought it was be, because of the dowry, the pursuit of the dowry, but also like he gets everybody else to pay his expenses for this whole this whole thing, right? Like you guys need Kate out of the way so you can you can pursue Bianca. I'll get Kate out of the way, right. but you have to fund my my wooing, right? So then mm. there's like. I, like, I don't know, I, like all of those things kind of came in my mind and, and kind of reinforced that, that initial 
instinctive mm. interpretation, but I don't, I think that you guys, that you're probably right. I think the questioner, right. I think Nora, you're probably right. Like, like it, like it includes that. It doesn't exclude that. Right. But it, but it includes right. this fuller that I did, that I thought was like, not, he was looking for that, but that he grew to start looking for that. Mm. Where it was like a change in him. Right. Rather than he started like, rather than that, he meant that from the beginning when he said thrive and live. Sure. I got bad news, you guys. What is it? We're at the end of the episode. This is our last one, though. We can't. We get to go extra, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> I think rather than going going extra on Taming of the Shrew, I think we just need to bring you guys back for another play. And I think we know what that play is going to be. We haven't announced next year's episodes, but it sounds like the play for us is Measure for Measure. Oh, we always got to do one where there's like, where there's like awkward relationships between a man and a woman. Great. Oh, well, <laughs> I think that the end of measure for measure is the <laughs> ultimate, it, not the ultimate. I think Taming of the Shrew is more awkward, but there's a question at the end of measure for uh-huh. measure about awkward male, female relationships that I just think is like going to be part of y'all's brand. Nora, when when what do they call that in acting Minute. when a player can only ever play certain kinds of roles? <laughs> typecast. Type, yeah, yeah. Is typecasting typecasting typecast. where we always have to be maybe <laughs> maybe that's just Shakespeare. I don't know. <laughs> I think, yeah. I don't want to typecast you guys, but you'd be perfect for this play. What can I say? I'm in. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. For sure. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to announce fairly soon within the next two months what the upcoming season will be for the plays, the thing. So stay tuned for that. Also, stay tuned for the aforementioned Heidi White and Brandon LeBlanc, who will join me for our next play, which is Henry the Fourth, Part One. I'm really excited to meet finally within the plays, the thing, Falstaff. I love mm. Falstaff. Like one of the great literary characters of English letters. Um, remember, everybody, you can join the conversation online on our Facebook Close Reads page. That's our sister podcast, Close Reads. Just search and join the Close Reads discussion group. You can also follow us on Instagram and at tw- on and on Twitter at Close Reads Pods and via email by writing to closereadspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow our um, email newsletter, which you can sign up for at closereads.substack.com. Tim, Tim, don't yes, end sir. it. Don't end it. Don't end it. No, I won't. I'm not. I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not trying done. To, I'm not done. I'm just trying to squeeze out as many minutes as I can with you guys. You just don't want it to end, I don't. man. It's just hard. I just, it's just hard to let go. I just want us to talk about Nora's new success. I was about to segue to that. Oh, Thank good. you so much. Yeah. Um, so Nora, of the three of us, two of us did not win a big Shakespeare grant, but you did. Would you be willing to tell us about it? You didn't? It? What? No. And, I, and as far as I know, neither did Matt. What? Yeah. My, uh, yeah. So the West Virginia Shakespeare Festival, um, was awarded a major grant from the West Virginia Humanities Council um, in order to produce in 2022 our first um, educational series for the West Virginia Shakespeare Festival. So what that will look like is um, we will uh, 
produce a Shakespeare play, The Taming of the Shrew, oh my gosh. in <laughs> in uh, April as a as a kind of beta test for a smaller group of students and chaperones and things. Um, there will be uh, an educational element, talkbacks, things like that. Um, we're going to be able to pay everyone involved, all of the actors, directors, technicians. We're going to record it. And then in the fall, we will be producing it as part of our um, in-person performance of festivals. And then um, we'll be touring it to uh, to schools and local community centers. Unbelievable. Like that. So, yeah, that's really exciting. Congratulations. That's yeah. Thank awesome. you. Thanks. Yeah. We, much, um, much deserved. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the part of the festival as well is bringing in some speakers and hosting workshops and, and things like that. So it is they didn't you, stipulate that I had to be cast as Petruchio for that. No. <laughs> you know, I didn't write that in. No, <laughs> it was probably before the podcast happened. It's Matt. probably understood, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's probably understood. You know. <laughs> the West Virginia humanities um, department. They're like, that's, well, that's just mad. Let's just, yeah. Obviously. Let's pass this right. Right. <laughs> Hey, congratulations. Are you, Nora, Thank are you. you more at the excitement stage or the kind of like intimidation at how much work you've got facing? Oh man, you? it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm still excited. We just found out, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago and, uh, but yeah, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and, and get started with it. There's going to be, um, the, the script will be truncated a bit, mm. um, because, you know, in order to uh, adapt to being able to, to go into schools and things. So, um, choices will be made and, uh, some of these decisions that we've talked about, you know, as far as what Shakespeare is saying, what you want to try to say with it between the script cuts or the casting or, or whatever, um, you know, now I get to do it. Let me Sounds suggest great. you not delete the lines, our strength as weak, our weakness pass. <laughs> to be most, which indeed we. I will do my best. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys. And um, thanks listeners for joining us for these six episodes on the Taming of the Shrew. Please join us for our next batch of episodes on Henry the Fourth, Part One, and we are going to leave you with the answer to Reed Taze Charles' question: "Is Kiss Me Kate or Ten Things I Hate About You the better version?" Thanks, everybody. Why, there's a wench. Come on and kiss me, Kate. <laughs> Come, Kate, and wheel to bed. <laughs> ah, pox upon the life that late I led. For now I shall ever be the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.